0: All right, take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 1 again, John chapter 1. And we'll be focusing just really on one verse today, John chapter 1, verse 14. And uh, we're going to pick up this morning again, answering the question, uh, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we're worshiping? Who is this Jesus that we're singing about? Who is this Jesus uh, that we're celebrating this entire Christmas season around. We began answering that question last week. We'll continue on today. And uh, how many of you have ever seen a movie or a television show? And I'm sure that you've all seen this happen. You see a movie or television show, and at some point in the scene, somebody's being pursued. You know, they're being chased by somebody. And there's a, they, they find their way into a crowd of people. And the people that are pursuing uh, this person look out there in the crowd and, and somewhere in the crowd they, they pick them out. Maybe their hairstyle or their hat or the, the color of the jacket that they're wearing. They see them down the crowd and so they take off through the crowd and they're running through the crowd, and they're, they're pushing people out of the way, and all they want to do is get to this person. They're trying with all their might to follow this person, and they follow them, and they make a left here, they make a right here, and they go up the steps here, and they go down the elevator here, and eventually, they finally get within reach of this person that they're following, and they reach out, grab them by the shoulder, turn them around, and it's the wrong person. You've seen that, right? You've seen that scene. It's in a million uh, different television shows. and and movies. I thought about that this week and I thought, you know, I think that's a good illustration of what goes on for a lot of people who claim to be following Jesus. I really believe, and I don't say this lightly, I really believe that as I have become uh, more of a student of American Christianity, Western Christianity, as I've Watch more closely the trends that, that are out there and, and the in churches that are influencing Western Christianity. I, I'm really convinced that a lot of people who think that they're following Jesus are following the wrong Jesus. They're following the wrong person. They're trying with all their might. I don't doubt their sincerity, but I really believe that many people are just following the wrong Jesus, And so this series of messages is really uh, trying this Christmas season to clear up all the confusion about who Jesus is and try, just try to get to what the Bible says He is because a, a case of mistaken identity in the movies or, or television can be funny or it can be dramatic or, or whatever, but a case of mistaken identity when it comes to Jesus has eternal consequences. And so we want to get it right. Amen? We want to know... Who Jesus is. Now, last week, you remember, if you were here last week, we dealt with three truths, and primarily, I'm dealing with these things in groups. Last last week, we dealt specifically uh, with the divinity of Jesus, and we gave or we talked about three different attributes of Jesus, three different things that we could say about Jesus and who he is. And we said, first of all, that Jesus is God. That he's God, that he's not just, he's not a God. He didn't become a God. He is God. Jesus is God. Then we said that Jesus is eternal and we said that Jesus is our creator. So we dealt with the eternal attributes of the, the divine God, Jesus Christ. Now this week, what we're going to do is we're going to turn our attention towards a different aspect of who Jesus is. And this week, we're going to deal with Jesus in his incarnation. Who is this Jesus? Who in John chapter 1, verse 14, if you look at it, look at John chapter 1, 1, one verse 14, the Bible says, the Word, and we covered this last week, of course, the Word is Jesus. And so we could say it this way: we could say, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go back to those first few lines and let that sink in for a moment. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that amazing just to think about that? Especially after what we learned last week, that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that amazing? That the eternal one the one who, who, who was and is and is to come, the one who was there before the foundations of the world were ever laid, that he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Think about this the one who is the creator, the one who created all things and sustains all things, put on flesh. And dwelt among us. That's an amazing thing to think about, just to even try to comprehend it. If I asked you what is the greatest verse in the Bible, many people would say it's John 3.16, but but a lot of people would say that it's John 1.14. In fact, one commentator said, It may be, it may well be held that John 1.14 is the greatest single verse in the New Testament. It is a power-packed verse. This verse is it teaches us all kinds of things that we need to know that are vital when we talk about who Jesus is. So let's turn our attention to the verse itself and let's walk through it. And let's walk through these three truths this week dealing with the incarnation of Jesus that help us answer who he is. And this is the first thing that I want you to see here. And we can see it here. It's not explicit in the in the words, but we can see it just by reading the words. And The number one thing I want you to know about Jesus in his incarnation is that Jesus is virgin born. He's virgin born. Look at those first few words again. The word became flesh. And you might just want to underline became flesh, that he became flesh. That's important because we know that Jesus, uh, when he appeared on the river Jordan and John the Baptist saw him and looked out there and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that Jesus had not just sort of appeared in creation at that moment, right? We know that Jesus didn't just show up at some point. He didn't just show up at the Passover. He didn't just show up when it was time to go to the cross. We know that Jesus became flesh in the same way, in the same manner that you and I did. He grew in His mother's womb. Think about that. Jesus in His mother's womb, in Mary's Womb. And we know that he, he grew there just the same way we did. His heart, at a certain point, began to beat. That little baby heartbeat that we've heard from our own children in the doctor's office. Jesus' heart began to beat. His, his eyes and His ears were formed. His internal organs uh, began to function. He grew and He grew and He grew until it was time for Him to be born, just like you and I were born, but with one major difference right? One big difference. in Jesus, the difference between Jesus and the rest of us is that all of us have an earthly father and Jesus didn't. Now, this is one of the most important truths that we can ever know about Jesus. You all with me still? This is one of the most important truths we can ever know about Jesus, that, that He was born, uh, that He was conceived in the womb of Mary as an act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit Himself did that. He was um, conceived under divine, uh, under the divine work of the Holy Spirit. No man had any involvement in it. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, where we have Mary being met by the angel, it says, the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.'" For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Good news. To which Mary responds, wait a minute. How can this be? since I'm a virgin. right? Mary understood what we all understand. It wouldn't work. But the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Now you know what that word means, right? Remember we did this months ago in 1 Peter. I labored and labored and labored over the word holy. What does the word holy mean? It means different. In it, At its root, it does mean set apart. At its root, though, it means other, different. There's an otherness about God, right? There's something about God that's completely other. And Jesus, this child that will be born, will be called holy because He'll be unlike any other child who's ever been born. He'll be the son, not of Joseph. He'll be the son of God. God Himself did this. Matthew 1 also teaches that before Mary and Joseph ever knew each other physically, she became pregnant as a virgin. This is important. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. Now let me ask you a question give you two answers to this question. Ready? Why does this really matter? A couple of years ago, there was a a very well-known preacher in Atlanta... Who, who made the news, uh, well, Christian news anyway, and the secular world doesn't care about this at all. But he made quite a a, a a lot of news when he made the statement that he doesn't care at all if people affirm the virgin birth. And he said, it doesn't matter to me if they get caught up on how Jesus got here or how He didn't get here. What's most important to me is whether or not He was raised from the dead. Well, that's, that's true. That's an, a vital Christian truth. Without the resurrection... We're all a bunch of idiots, right? I mean, that's essentially what Paul says. In fact, he says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're to be pitied above all people. And you know why he said that? He said, because if if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're just wasting our time going to worship services, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our... So that's a vital truth. Christ, and by the way, Christ is raised from the dead but you can't even get to the resurrection without the virgin birth. You can't even get there. So why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, first of all, here's the first answer. It's not in the PowerPoint, so just jot this down. The first answer is it matters because it's a matter of biblical truth. The Bible says it. It says it clearly. Right? Isaiah prophesied it. He said it clearly. This will be a sign to you. The virgin shall conceive and be with child. It matters because Luke's gospel tells us that Mary was a virgin. The angel tells us that Mary would conceive by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew's gospel, uh, Joseph himself is told, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife for that which is conceived in hers of the Holy Spirit. So we're told over and over again that the virgin will conceive. And brothers and sisters, if you, if you, say, if you begin to doubt that clear statement in Scripture, then I don't know where you go with the rest of Scripture. If you say that doesn't matter, then what else doesn't matter? Or if you say that's not true, then what else isn't true? So this is a, 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 an issue of biblical truth. Al Mohler said, we cannot claim to believe that the Bible is the Word of God and then turn around and cast suspicion on its teaching." can't do that. Millard Erickson, the great theologian, said, If we do not hold to the virgin birth despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible and there is no, and there is in principle no reason why we should hold to its other teachings. Thus, rejecting the virgin birth has implications reaching far beyond the doctrine itself. It's an issue of biblical truth. Secondly, though, secondly, and this is even more important than that, the second reason why it's important is it's also important because without the virgin birth, Jesus can't be sinless. Without the virgin birth, Jesus is just like us. And each one of us who's born of woman with a father involved, an earthly father involved, has a sin nature at birth. We're born sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. You know, uh, one of my joys in my life, and one of Denise's greatest frustrations in life, is my near obsession with hunting dogs. Now, I know I live in Western Howard County in the year 2021 and not many people hunt anymore, And uh, but I, I do, and I love dogs. I love hunting dogs, most of all, and I, I've i had all these dogs over the years. I've had all sorts of different dogs. You know, dogs are not created equal. <laughs> I really mean that. I mean it in a lot of ways, but, but hunting dogs are not created equal as well. I mean, I've, I've had... Uh, uh, the first types of dogs that I ever had, hunting dogs I ever had, were were tree and walker coonhounds. Nick used to have some of those as well, and uh, these dogs are are the type of dogs you turn them loose, you cut them loose somewhere, and you. Better put a GPS on them because they're just going to leave and they go. This is true. They just go and go and go and and they find until they find a raccoon and they tree the raccoon and they stay put on the tree until you get there. Sometimes ten minutes, sometimes twenty minutes, sometimes an hour. And they they do all this incredible work. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but but it's an amazing thing. It's amazing. It's amazing, Tina. Y'all to get another one. I've been trying to talk to Tina. <laughs> Uh, but but uh, but it's an amazing... But they do that, and that's how they do it. They, and then I had beagles. How many of you have ever owned a beagle? All beagles are not created equal. All beagles, are, but some of them... Uh, some of them are still bred to hunt, and they will hunt rabbits. And they will go out and, and go out in the brush, and they'll bypass, or supposed to bypass every other animal until they find the scent of a rabbit, keep quiet until they get real close to the rabbit, jump the rabbit, start barking, follow the rabbit, and that rabbit, not being the most brilliant creature in the world, will make one big circle and return to the very spot where it was jumped up at and uh, usually fall victim to some hillbilly standing there. I mean, that's just how... It, how good! But a but a rabbit dog will circle a rabbit, and then I've had bird dogs, pointing dogs that will go out and hunt and find a bird, and they will freeze like a statue. It's One of the most amazing things I've ever seen, the way a dog will just lock up like a statue and can't move if it wanted to, until that bird is gone. And then I I have a little Boykin Spaniel. Some of you have met named Preacher, that's a real original, right? And a Preacher Preacher is a uh, is a wonderful little dog, but he's a retrieving dog. He goes out in the water and retrieves. Ducks and other things that fall in the water. So, uh, But what I'm getting at, what amazes me about this, what I've learned over the years is that you can't train a dog to hunt. you know that people always say, do you have to train them to hunt? No, you can't train a dog to hunt. You can refine a dog's abilities, but you can't train them to hunt. And, and you can't get them to do something they're not bred to do either. That's interesting. And what we say is, You can't train them to hunt. It's either in their blood or it isn't. And if it's in their blood, you can't stop them from hunting. Now, I think that's a good illustration for us. Brothers and sisters, sin is in our blood. Do you realize that? that? That we don't become sinners, we are sinners. We're born that way. It's in our blood and and you can't stop it. Given the opportunity, you and I are going to sin. And the reason that we are sinners is because the sin nature has been passed on to us all the way from Adam through the paternal line, all throughout humanity. The sin nature has been passed down to every human being who's born with an earthly father and an earthly mother. But thank God Jesus is different. And the bloodline was broken with Jesus. And Jesus was born without a sin nature, conceived by the Holy Spirit, absolutely sinless by nature. Now we'll come back to that in just a few moments. It's going to be important. I'm going to try to get these first two and then circle back around and, and tie it all together for you. So the first thing is that Jesus is virgin born. The second thing that I want you to know from this verse is that Jesus is fully man. Fully man. Jesus is fully man. Now, I've told, if you've been here at Burnt Woods for for a long time, you've heard me say this before, but I think it's important that I say it because I think probably uh, some of you share this experience with me. And that's that I, I, for a long period of my life, especially when I was a young man, completely misunderstood the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. And I believed that Jesus was in fact a man but he was a superman. You know what I mean? Did you ever think that about Jesus? Like, wait a minute, this is God. So when I remember as a child thinking, when they drove the nails into his hands, surely it couldn't have hurt him. He was God. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, surely it couldn't have hurt him. I mean, he did a great job acting, no doubt, but surely... It couldn't have hurt Him because this is God in the flesh. And I thought that He was just sort of a a Superman, a man of steel, God in the flesh. I couldn't grasp that He was actually fully God and actually fully man. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is, in fact, a man just like I am. That God came and put on flesh. Look at it in uh, in verse 14 again where He says, "...the Word became flesh." The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And it's the same word that's used to describe our flesh and our nature. He became a man just like we are. And God became a human person. Now this would have been a scandalous thing, by the way. Remember last week I said that that John's writing primarily to Greek Christians? This would have been a scandalous thing uh, for Greek Christians to hear because in their mind and... In ours, there was this idea. It's, we don't even realize how influenced we are by ancient Greece. But many of us still hold to the same idea that the Greeks did at that time, this platonic dualism, this idea that all matter is evil and that the spirit needed to be set free from the flesh in order to commune with God or to experience anything good. So, they would have said, the Greeks would have said, that surely God would never put on flesh because that would be putting on something bad. That would be doing something bad. And by the way, we, we sort of carry this into our own modern thinking, don't we? Well, if I can just get out of this body, this old wretched body, just go home to glory. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. That'll work for a little while, but you're getting another body. Like, the body's not bad. You're getting another one, a glorified one. You're getting one that'll work right, that'll look right, uh, that'll hopefully. You know, I don't know, Phil, Phil, you you chuckled, because I I don't know uh, what it's going to be like. I hope I don't look like this for eternity. You know, I'm kind of hoping that I have abs and, you know, like I can... I I, I mean, I, I do have them now. They're just covered by so much, you know. But you're getting a new body. So, so I just sort of in passing want to, want to ask you to rid yourself of that thinking that all this physical world, it's just, we need to be set free from this and get home to glory. Brothers and sisters, the t- Bible teaches that, that we will be absent from this body and present with the Lord, but there's coming a time when we're going to get a new body and a new creation, and you're going to come home to live out eternity on the world that you live on now. Did you know that? Amen. That's heaven. That's the Bible heaven. That's not this uh, movie heaven where we sit around on clouds strumming harps and diapers. That's not heaven. I'm getting off track. All right. (laughs) But the Greeks, they would have had a problem with this idea of Jesus being fully man. In fact, there was an entire system of thought uh, that rose out of that in the first century called docetism, which meant or which held that Jesus didn't actually have a body. It just looked like he did. But the Bible teaches us that he was fully man. He assumed humanity. He took on flesh and became a man. He was a man in many ways like me. A human being like you. Think of this. He got hungry like we do. Fully man. He got thirsty like we do. He got tired like we do. He wept. I think that that is a beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus. That when he stood by the grave of his friend Lazarus, even knowing that he would soon call him out of the tomb, Jesus wept at the heartbreak of the loss of a loved one and the tears that it caused all around him. What a picture of a of a man! He got tired. He needed rest. He agonized over his crucifixion. He was fully man. Now. One thing that we don't often point to that's really important, though, is that not only did he get uh, hungry, not only did he get thirsty, not only did he weep, get tired, uh, all these things, but he was also tempted. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Hebrews four fifteen, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. (laughs) Fully man. Can you imagine? Fully man, not a superman, a man like you and I, tempted in every way that we are, and yet he faced all of those temptations, all those struggles, unlike us, without ever sinning. So He's virgin born, born without a sin nature. He goes through His entire life tempted as we are, experiencing the same things that we have, and He never sins. And that leads us to the last thing I want you to know about the incarnation of Jesus. This is so important. Number three, Jesus is the only acceptable substitute for you. He's the only acceptable substitute for you. I want you to remember that word, substitute. Such an important word. What 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 made Jesus the acceptable substitute for you? Well, one, he was sinless, right? And don't ever, don't ever miss this, by the way. When the first Passover and the Passover lamb, they're told to take the Passover lamb and the lamb is to be without spot and without blemish and that lamb's blood would be shed and, and put on the doorpost of the house. And anyone who covered the house, the doorpost of the house with the lamb's blood, the, the wrath of God would pass over them. And of course, sometimes we say, well, that was a, a precursor to Christ. That was a picture of Christ coming. And it was. But don't, don't ever miss that Jesus wasn't Uh, wasn't reflecting that, that is reflecting Him. right? Jesus, the sinless Son of God, is our acceptable sacrifice because He was sinless, virgin-born, but also because He was a man. Jesus was a man. It needed to be a man who was punished. He became our substitute. We believe in what's called penal substitution. We believe that God did, in fact, crush His own Son in our place. That's hard for me to comprehend. I can't even think of a situation or a circumstance where I would put my child in a place to absorb wrath that you deserved. I'm sorry, I love you, but I wouldn't do it. But God placed Jesus in the place where we belong and poured out his wrath on him. Years ago, I was uh, with Nick, this is a long time ago, and we were in Ghana, we were over in the Volta region of Ghana, short trip. I think this is the one where we flew in, hit the ground, ran around, flew out. It was a crazy trip, but I still have video of this. You can go on YouTube, and it's actually on YouTube. But our partner Emmanuel uh, Mensa told a story that just struck me. I, I videotaped the whole thing, and and I I love hearing him tell it. I thought about showing it this morning, uh, but it probably been hard to understand. But he, he he we go into this little schoolhouse, and and he gets up and he takes uh, two little boys. Do you remember this, Nick? Two little boys. And he, he stands them up in front of the schoolhouse and, and he's going to tell the story and, and we're in a place where even he needs an interpreter and so there's an interpreter with him and and he begins to tell this story and he says, "This this boy is a poor man's son and this boy is a rich man's son. And he says, this boy, the poor boy, never has anything, and he, he tells it so much better, but he says, this boy never has any food. He never has anything to take with him to school. But the rich man's son always has money, always has food, always has resources. And so he comes to school each day, and in his backpack he has uh, he has porridge, and he has bread in his backpack for his lunch. And he says, it comes time uh, for lunch, and the poor man's son is hungry. And so he goes and he pillages the backpack of the rich man's son. And he takes and he eats. He does it in secret where no one sees him. And the rich man's son, he goes, he gets a backpack and, he, and he's time for lunch. And he opens his backpack and there's nothing there. He goes to the teacher and he says, teacher, he says, someone has stolen my lunch. They've stolen my food. And, and so the teacher calls all the students together and says, "Who has stolen the food? Who's, who's done this thing? And it's discovered along the way that the poor man's son stole the food. And so they take him to the headmaster of the school and they they pronounce that this young man, imagine this in our schools, that this young man is to be caned, 30 lashes. And they take him out. And as the headmaster raises the cane to ride across the back of this poor man's son, the rich man's son, steps in between and says, stop, I'll take his case. He says, cane me instead. My father has money for medicine and my father can help me. But if you cane the poor man's son, he'll surely die. So I'll take his case. And then he asks the little kids, Do you know who the rich man's son is? And then he says, The rich man's son is Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We are, according to the Bible, born, listen to this, as children of wrath. That means that God Himself stands ready to mete out His wrath on all those who deserve it, which is all of us. But Jesus came, sinless Son of God, put on flesh, lived a perfect life, and at just the right time, He said, I'll take their case. And He absorbed all the wrath that we deserve as our perfect substitute. Praise the Lord. Thank God the Lord is our salvation. Amen? Amen. That it's not up to us. If it were up to us, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Jesus is the one who stood in as our substitute and took the full wrath of God that we deserve. He's the acceptable substitute because he's sinless, because he's a man. And by the way, the Bible teaches, this is a a really neat thing. I don't have time for today, but the Bible teaches us that as Jesus assumed humanity and became a man, that he is now perpetually a man. Did you know that? That when you see Jesus, you'll see the man, Christ Jesus that we'll see the scars that He bore for us. I love that old song. It says, when I get there, I want to see Jesus, the one who died for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our wrath and He gave us His righteousness. Amen? Amen. Good news. Who is this Jesus? Who is He? Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is our Creator. Jesus is virgin-born, the sinless One, fully man, and He's the only acceptable substitute for our sins.